During the 1960s in Durham, North Carolina, the worst of enemies became the best of friends. The federal government had mandated the desegregation of schools, and those in the black community were eager to implement these changes because this meant that they were going to get better education, better resources, better funding. But leaders in the white community were opposed to it. Over a century of racial propaganda had led the leaders to believe that black people were entirely responsible for the problems in society. And one of the most outspoken of these leaders in the white community was a man by the name of C.P. Ellis. C.P. Ellis was the head of the Ku Klux Klan in Durham, and whenever the black community had a rally to call for equal or fair treatment of some kind, C.P. Ellis and his men were there present at the rally to yell insults and racial slurs along with their weapons not far out of reach just in case they needed them. Soon they noticed that at almost every rally that the black community put together, there was, a, there was a large black lady by the name of Ann Atwater who could be seen leading out. She had influence in the black community, and she wanted to see improvements in the way that black people were treated in the community. Her tireless efforts put her in direct conflict with C.P. Ellis making them instant enemies. To put it mildly, these two people, C.P. Ellis and Ann Atwater, they felt deep dislike for each other, and they had no problem telling each other how they felt about it when they would have confrontations at different rallies. Well, to settle the issue of desegregation, how the the schools would, would proceed with that in Durham, the community leaders, what they did was they recruited people to participate, leaders in the community to participate in something called a charrette, where different voices could come together in the same room, and those voices could be heard, those views could be expressed. And not only could those views be expressed, but the the goal was to hear all of this and come to solutions so that they could move forward in a way that's best for the whole community. Black leaders were excited to be a part of this. They were ready to see some change. White leaders were hesitant, but they had no choice, really, if they wanted to have a voice in how things would would take place. Soon, C.P. Ellis and Ann Atwater, these enemies, found themselves in the same room, spending hours and hours and hours together along with other leaders. At first, they wanted to get away from each other as soon as possible, but little by little, these two people began to realize that they had actually a lot in common. Both of them, C.P. Ellis was poor, and they, they both suffered because of poverty. Both of them wanted the best for their children. It was difficult for them to turn towards each other and have a conversation. Have a conversation with someone that they hated so much. But because of these conversations, they realized that hatred for other people was not the solution to society's problems. Eventually, C.P. Ellis decided to leave the Ku Klux Klan. And over the years, C.P. Ellis and Ann Atwater worked closely together. 
advocating for changes that were good for the community. Many years later, at C.P. Ellis's funeral, this former exalted cyclops, is what they call the head of the KKK, this former exalted cyclops, has Ann Atwater at his funeral, and she is recognized as one of his family members. Because C.P. Ellis and Ann Atwater were open to having a conversation, because they were open to entering into this difficult space and have a conversation, these two experienced something no one thought possible. Conversation's powerful. And a divided community found its way forward to peaceably desegregate schools in Durham, North Carolina, all because these two leaders and others as well, were open to having a conversation. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, you probably don't see God as your enemy. But when it comes to having a conversation with God, it can be difficult. Having a conversation can still be a real struggle, even if we see him as, you know, wonderful. And, and Lord, I mean, sometimes the reality is we're not really open to praying and having a conversation with him. I mean, even as followers of God, like, if you're like me, there are times when I'm just not open to it. I, I, I don't feel like having a conversation with God. I'm not proud to admit that, but, but that's true. And, and not only that, but, but there are other factors that make prayer and talking to God difficult. He's in heaven. It's not like we can have a face-to-face conversation with him. It's not like we can speak and hear him speak back to us or see him. On top of that, if you're like me, you could get easily distracted from prayer. You can be praying and, you know, the phone buzzes or, or you think of something that you have to do. Oh, well, I'll come back to this and never end up coming back to it. It's, it's easy to get distracted. And on top of that, naturally, people, we can avoid the idea of admitting that we need help and asking for it. All that's involved in prayer. So with all of this, the idea of having a constant connection with God, talking to him all the time, may seem like something that is impossible. How could we have that kind of a close relationship with him? Thankfully, the Bible teaches us that any one of us, even an enemy of God, can have a close, continual connection with him if we're simply open to having the conversation. The title of the message this morning is Open to Prayer. Before we get into the Bible, I'd like to just pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're willing to have a conversation with us. And thank you so much that you are constantly available for that conversation. I pray, God, that we would show up now. I pray that we would listen to what your word has to say to us. And that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear you speaking. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verse 17. And it's, it's page 1189 in your pew Bible, or if you want to look it up in your phone. Whatever, whatever you want to use uh, for a Bible is fine. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. So in, in 1 Thessalonians... Um, We're reading about the Apostle Paul's guidance that he's giving to new Christians. Spiritual guidance. They needed spiritual guidance. And so if you're in that boat, this is for you and I today. Uh, Those of us who need spiritual guidance, he's speaking to us. Paul had preached the message of Jesus' salvation to the people in Thessalonica. 
and a number of people believed. But before these new converts could be really grounded in the faith of Christianity, some jealous Jewish leaders stirred up the crowd, they started a riot, and for Paul's safety, the new converts had to get him out of town. They, they got him out at night, and so he had to leave before he could fully instruct the new Christians there. Now, Paul recognized that they were vulnerable to being misled. They're vulnerable to discouragement. And so to keep them from turning away from God, to keep them from losing their connection with him, Paul tells the new converts, Paul tells us today also, to do something that may practically seem impossible. We read about it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. The New International Version says this, pray continually. That's a good one to memorize, right? <laughs> Two words, pray continually. That's our verse for today. Now, at first glance, part of me wishes that Paul would have left out the word continually. Some other versions say never stop. Like, part of me wishes it would say never, that never stop portion would be left out. That continually portion would have been left out. Part of me wishes that Paul would have just said pray. Had he not specified the frequency of prayer, this command would be much more manageable. I mean, had he merely said pray, then we could pray at our convenience when it seems right, when we feel the need, when we have the time. But when Paul says pray continually, he's talking about a way of living that affects, that influences, that, that informs every moment of our life. Now, to make this verse more palatable, some might say that it should not be taken literally. I mean, come on. How can you really pray all the time? How could you get something done? How could you get anything done if you were constantly saying prayers to God? How could you talk to anyone if you were constantly saying prayers to God? How is this possible? But when Paul says pray continually, if we're going to be honest with the text, he's actually making a literal statement. If you're looking there in your Bible, just like he says in verse 16, rejoice always, to be in this spirit of rejoicing. In verse 18, he says, give thanks always, to have a thankful heart all the time. In the same way, he tells us to pray continually. He's making a literal statement, pray continually. And in verse 18, it tells us why. This is not just Paul's opinion. He's saying that this is God's will for you. In other words, the one who made you, the one who created you, the one who loves you, and the one who knows what is best for you has this to say to you and I. This is what we need for spiritual thriving, for abundant life. Pray continually. Now, Paul wrote this letter, 1 Thessalonians, in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, there are a variety of words that are translated into the word we find in the Bible, prayer. They had a variety of different words for prayer. And significantly, the word here in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it doesn't describe one particular type of prayer. It's a word that is, it's a comprehensive word. It describes really all kinds, all types, all manners, all ways of praying. It's inclusive of all these types of prayer. To pray continually here literally means to have an uninterrupted connection with God. 
And this can be done in a variety of ways. There's a variety of ways to pray. We can speak to God about our gratitude. We can give him thanks. We can talk to God and confess our sins. We can tell him, this is what I did. I own it. I was wrong. We can come to God with our requests. We can speak to God. But there's another aspect to to this continual connection with God, and that is listening to God. We can meditate upon what the Bible says. We can be in a place of waiting upon God, listening for his direction, perhaps an impression of the heart, perhaps some some kind of circumstance that indicates his direction in our life. We can be in the spirit of waiting, but it's a continual connection speaking or listening. And in every moment of our life, there is an appropriate way to pray. Whether you're doing something, whether you're talking to someone, you can be open, listening, or speaking to God. Now, prayer is not just a nice thing to do. I don't think anyone would would disagree with prayer being a good thing to do. It's not, but it's not just a nice thing to do. It is a necessity every moment of our life. That's the point that Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray continually. Why? Because we continually are in need. It's a necessity at every moment in our life. In the Garden of Eden, when Eve approached the forbidden tree, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, Eve approaches the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She approached it fully equipped with the knowledge that she needed. She knew that the fruit would kill her. She also had the unique advantage of being perfect. She had never sinned before. She had an unfallen nature, in other words. She was equipped with the knowledge that she needed. Yet when she took her attention off of God, she chose to sin. So if perfect people like Adam and Eve, who knew better, if they could not resist temptation on their own, what chance do you and I have? What chance do we, who are sinful people, have if we neglect to pray? After Jesus' disciples had spent over three years following him, one might think that they had built up, I mean, they're in the presence of Jesus. They're in the presence of God himself incarnate. One might think that they had built up some kind of resistance to temptation, that perhaps these disciples would have been okay for a few moments if they had not prayed. Perhaps they they had some kind of built-up resistance. Maybe they could neglect to pray and still be okay. But just before Jesus was crucified, this is what he told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Do you see the connection that's there? According to Jesus, our Lord, the one who died for us, our Savior, there is a direct connection between prayer and turning from sin. Instead of listening to Jesus, as you may know, the disciples neglected to pray. And a few moments later, when an angry mob came to arrest their Lord and Savior, they turned away from him, and they ran for their lives. This is what happens when we neglect to pray. When we neglect prayer, we turn away from God. And this not only makes us vulnerable to sin, when we turn away from God, the source of all that is good, it is sin. It's a sin to neglect to pray. In the Old Testament, 
after Israel had asked for a king, and they rejected God as their leader, all-sufficient leader. He had proven himself to be an amazing leader. They rejected him as king. They said, no, we want a king just like the other nations, a human king. And after they had done this, they came to their senses and they realized what they had done. They realized that they were wrong. And so they go to the prophet Samuel and they said, Samuel, please pray for us so that God does not reject us. And even though Samuel had done nothing wrong, Samuel had not led them to reject God. He'd done nothing wrong here in this matter. This is what Samuel says to them. This is 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Samuel says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by what? Failing to pray. To pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Samuel said, It would be a sin for me to neglect to pray for you. Although it might sound harsh to say that neglecting to pray is a sin, consider for a moment someone who is going to die unless they receive medication intravenously right away. They may not like needles. They may have an aversion to needles. It may hurt when the IV port is put into their body. They may not like the idea of depending upon medication dripping from a bag outside their body. They may feel like it's inconvenient to be hooked up to that medication. But regardless of how uncomfortable this arrangement might be, their life depends upon that continual drip, drip of fluid that their body desperately needs. In the same way, we are constantly dependent, constantly in need of God's power. If we are going to love God with all our hearts, if we're going to love other people, we need a continual connection with the source of true love, that continual drip. So how is it possible to pray continually? That sounds great. Wow, wouldn't it be amazing? We'd all pray. How is that possible to pray continually. Please turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, and verse 16. It's page 1170 in your pew Bible. I'll give you a moment to get there. Galatians 4, 6, verse 6. I think I said 16, sorry. Galatians 4, 6. Now, in the first century, wealthy households commonly had slaves. And in Galatians chapter 4, Paul compares these slaves to people who are trying to be good on their own, trying to earn salvation on their own. And he makes this comparison because no matter how hard a slave works, there's nothing that they can do to earn the right of being family with the wealthy father. They can't earn the right to be family and to be an heir of, of the father's estate. But... If somehow the slave is adopted by the wealthy father, then everything changes. When God sent Jesus to this earth as a human being to become our brother, we were all adopted. We all were given the right to go to God and call him our father. And if we accept this, that means we have special privileges with God. Children have special privileges. 
This is what Galatians 4, 6 is talking about. It says, because you are his children, children of God, God sent the spirit of his son. Look at what he's saying here. God sent the spirit, his Holy Spirit, where? Into our hearts. And this spirit is the one that calls out Abba, Father. This is the privilege that we have as children of God. God sends us his spirit, the spirit of his son. It's not out, he's not outside of us somewhere. He's in our hearts. And his spirit, notice who the one is that's calling out. His spirit is calling out within us, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic term of endearment that children would use when they address their fathers. They, when they wanted to express trust, when they wanted to express closeness, they would say Abba. It was a term of closeness, of trust, of warmth, of connection. So when Galatians 4, 6 says that the Spirit is calling out Abba, Father, it's describing what prayer is like for every Christian, that we get the chance to look to God. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your father, but we get a chance to look to God as our father, and it's a close connection. There's warmth there. There's trust there. There's closeness. We can call to him, Abba, Father. And notice how often the Spirit is calling. It says that the Spirit calls. Literally what it's saying is that the Spirit is continually, all the time, calling out, Abba, Father, within us. Sinners like me and like you, we can have a close connection with God. Not because we're super spiritual, but because we have the Spirit of God placed within us. And it is the Spirit of God that is calling out. The Spirit of God that is praying all the time within us. Abba, Father, leading us to join Him in this prayer of closeness, of connection, all the time. If we're open to prayer, the Spirit will lead us to this experience of continual connection, continual prayer. Now, when we're in crisis, I don't know about you, but when I'm in crisis, it is not hard for me to be open to pray. <laughs> when I am scared, when things are not right, when it, it seems like things are going to fall apart, let's pray, right? But when we're not feeling like we're in crisis— when we're like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we don't really feel our need of prayer, the truth is we really just don't know ourselves when we're in that place. Whenever you or I feel like we do not need prayer, whenever we, we think like we can get by for a little bit without prayer, it's just because we don't know ourselves. It's not because we mean anything bad by it. We're just not aware of our constant need. And in these times when I have not been feeling my need of prayer, when I've not been open to prayer, when I've been resistant to prayer. In these times, i found that God sends me help, and the way he likes to do it is through other people. Sometimes, at the end of the day, I just don't feel like praying. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but that's my experience. Sometimes I just, I don't want to pray. But I have a praying wife, and she will turn to me, and she'll say, would you please pray with us? Pray for us. Pray with me. And because of her, when I'm not open to praying, she's very convincing, <laughs> and I will end up praying. 
or in the middle of a busy week. And I'm finding myself just going from one thing to the next, and I look at my to-do list, and it doesn't seem like I even have time enough in the day to get everything done that I have to get done. The thought of adding something else to that just seems completely out of the question. In that moment, I can resist the idea of stopping to pray, stopping and praying for an hour even. How can I even do that? But because our church has a conversational prayer time on Tuesday nights, we do it online, and we, we, we get online and we pray together for an hour. There's a group of people in our church family that get together and that pray. It's open, by the way. This is kind of a shameless advertisement for that, if you'd like to join. Um, but, but it's open, and, and because there's a group of people that get together and pray on Tuesday nights, and I'm a part of that group, I end up praying for an hour, no matter how busy my week is. It happens. So thankful for other people that encourage me to be open to praying. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, when Paul says, pray continually, Paul is not talking to us as individuals. The Bible is not speaking to us as individual people. Now, you go off by yourself and pray continually. You go off and by yourself and pray continually. It's not saying that. He's speaking to us as a community of faith. And the reason I know that is because the command to pray is a plural word, and it actually means you all pray continually. That's literally what he's saying here. He's speaking to us as a family of believers. We do it together. On our own, we get distracted. We, we need each other to encourage each other to pray. We cultivate an openness to praying continually by praying with others. We need other people in our life that we're praying with. So I'd like to invite you, as we conclude, to consider who you pray with. Who are the people that you pray with? Do you have people that you pray with? And if you do, is God leading you to pray with others? Who are the people that he's calling you to pray together with? When someone asks for prayer, and they come to you and they say, oh, please pray for me. You ever have that happen? I got this. I'm going through this difficult time. Please pray for me. I encourage you not to put that off. And I encourage you to just stop right there and say, okay, would it be all right if we prayed right now? If you're like me, I can forget. Pray right at that moment with them. Parents, I encourage you to pray with your children. And children, it's not just for your parents. I encourage you to pray with them. We need prayer too. Reach out to a friend and pray with them. I encourage you to schedule it. Set up a time when you're going to get together with someone or, or others and pray together. Schedule being a part of the Tuesday night prayer time. Pray together with us. Husbands and wives, make it your goal to pray together daily. What if every member of our faith community here, every member of our congregation, what if we each had someone that we were praying regularly with? Can you imagine the power of God that would be revealed? God has given us his spirit. We are his children. And he is at work in us, praying continually. 
And because of this, we can experience a closeness with God that we never may have thought possible. And we experience that closeness if we are simply open to prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and thank you for your patience with me and with us as we have neglected to pray, as we have been resistant to pray. Thank you for your spirit that you've placed within us that is continually crying out, Abba, Father. And may we be open to simply join you. In Jesus' name, amen.